listening to the Streak Center Podcast. of the Streak Center Podcast. I am your host, Noah Taluki. And as always, folks, we have a loaded baked potato for you. Wish it could be a little bit more of an exciting beginning for uh, our men's basketball team, but unfortunately they lost to Marietta. They got upset in the semifinal of the OAC tournament. Women's basketball also lost as the sixth seed, but we'll talk about their season as well. But on a positive note, swimming won their seventh straight OAC championship, both on the men's and women's side. We'll recap the cha- the awesome and, and amazing championships and, and an amazing display that was put on the Ocasek Natatorium in, at the University of Akron last week as well. And also later on in the program, Ahead of wrestling regionals this weekend, we will have Andrew Perelka and Luke Rokoski, both of the fifth years and All-Americans on this wrestling team for John Carroll, looking to make some noise at at regionals this year on their way back to the national meet this year. Remember, follow us on Twitter at StreakCenterJCU and at JCU Sports for all the latest John Carroll sports coverage. But I want to begin first by talking about this really, really tough and heartbreaking loss that the Blue Streak men's basketball team suffered on Thursday against the Pioneers of Marietta. Pioneers coming in as the number four seed in the OAC tournament. Blue Streaks, of course, wrapped up the number one seed last week with a 85-72 victory over Wilmington. They ended up tying for first place, 16-2 overall in the conference with Baldwin, I'm sorry, with Mount Union because of their loss against Baldwin Wallace last Wednesday, 99-94 in Berea. However, in terms of seeding, they were able to get the number one seed because of the fact because it's how the tiebreakers work with uh, it goes head to head matchup between the per, the team you're tied with which the blue streak split so then it goes to the second tiebreaker which is just going in order of the standings in the OAC how they did against each team so it really only took one team for the blue streaks to get to which was number 3 seed Heidelberg and the blue streaks had beaten them twice in the season Mount Union split there was the tiebreaker for the seeding so that's how the blue streaks got the number 1 seeding and this year the OAC made a change in the playoff format for the OAC tournament. They decided to go with the top six teams instead of the top eight. Typically, the one seed plays the eight seed, two plays the seven, three plays the six, four plays the five, all on Tuesday. And then from there, it's at the highest remaining seed for the semis. And then, of course, the highest remaining seed for the championship. But this year, they decided to go first seed and second seed with buys. So they didn't play it Tuesday. It was just it was just a three six and the four five game on Tuesday, and then uh, you know so uh, played Thursday. So they had a little bit of time off the Blue Streaks, and they gosh I mean they had at at the end of the first half they had a thirty nine twenty one lead. They had an eighteen point lead as well uh, throughout early in the second half as well. But then Marietta clawed back. They scored fifty eight points in the second half. To beat the Blue Streak seventy nine to seventy five, and I gotta say, folks, I mean, you know, if I, if I'm being honest, like it's definitely one of the more disappointing losses that I've ever seen in my six years here at John Carroll, just because of the lead that they had and all the expectations really going into the tournament. I think a lot of these guys, you know, with just so much talent on this team, four Division One transfers, Luke Frazier and Luke Chacon, both transfers, who actually got first-team All-OAC last week, we found out. Chase Toppin really coming into his own 
Uh, you got second team, Henry Rayner, one of the big guys down low who's had a very successful season, getting honorable mention. Coach Pete Moran, OAC Coach of the Year. You know, you, you had all these pieces together, and the Blue Streaks didn't, just couldn't figure it out in the second half. Marietta really came out strong, and they started playing a lot of zone defense, and they started hitting shots. I mean, you look at the first half numbers for Marietta. They were 9 of 37 from the field, 24%. They were 1 of 13 from deep. That is 7.7%. Here's their second half numbers. 17 of 31 from the field, 54%. From deep, 8 of 10, 80%. How crazy is that? Plus, the Blue Streaks, who came into the game as the number one team in the OAC when it comes to free throw percentage, could not make free throws down the stretch. In the second half, they were 6 of 12 from the line. 6 of 12. 5 of 6 in the first half for them. It was truly a tale of two halves for the Blue Streaks when you think about it. I mean, you got to give Marietta credit, too. I mean, Coach John Vanderwall, this is Marietta's, I mentioned it on the broadcast, too. This is Marietta's worst season in 13 years. And the fact that they're still, they still clawed their way back. They had all of those players that barely played last year because they had a bunch of fifth years, of course, a, a team that went to the NCAA Final Four and won the OAC tournament. They have all these guys. And, you know, I thought the second game that the Blue Streaks played them a couple weeks ago, I think it was February 4th on Senior Day, they really bullied the Pioneers down low. And, you know, I, I tell people it's hard to beat a team three times in a season, really hard. And when you're going up against a team like Marietta, who is very well coached, five-time OAC Coach of the Year, John Vanderwall, in his 16th year for the Pioneers, a team just fresh off the Final Four, you know that he's not going to be fooled twice. So it it was just really disappointing for the Blue Streaks. And, uh, you know, I think at this point, though, because, of course, you are guaranteed to make the, make the NCAA tournament if you win your conference tournament, so now the Blue Streaks will have to sit back and wait for an at-large bid. And I think at this point, because the committee, I've seen the committee do things before that I didn't even expect. It's hard to predict for this committee. However, from what I've heard and kind of what I've gathered, it seems as though the Blue Streaks will have a, a good chance of making the NCAA tournament. Now, if they host or not is another question. So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled over the next couple of days or so to see what people are talking about and, and, and what teams lose. And it's really important with regional rankings as well. And at the time of this recording, we don't really know, you know, how the OAC is going to shake out with Mount Union and Heidelberg in the championship. Or I'm sorry, Mount Union and Marietta in the championship. They, they beat Heidelberg in the semifinal. But because the regional rankings... Case Western Reserve was the number one team coming in, and they're playing in the, the in their conference championship, the UAA championship against Carnegie Mellon, which is also a team that's regionally ranked. Then you get Worcester, who was the number four seed in the regional rank, the Great Lakes regional rankings, who was playing in the NCAC tournament a championship game. So I think it just kind of depends on how some of these other teams in the region shake out. If if they win their conference, if they don't then that will take up another at-large bid because there's only certain at-large bids per region. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the blue streaks shake out. And, I mean, 
you know, I could see, I, I mean, I don't think that they're going to host, but I mean, I've seen the committee do crazier things. <laughs> you know, you, you could see this team possibly host, you know, you never know. Or you could see this team travel almost 500 miles away to play someone. It's just, it's, it's always, always just, just very random every year what, what happens uh, in the NCAA tournament. Cause it's not like, there, there's not like one through sixteen seedings like like in um like in Division One for the tournament. It, it's kind of all mixed up, and it's just kind of based on your your region a little bit more. But it's like I said, Sunday at or I'm sorry, Monday at one o'clock is when we'll find out if the Blue Streaks uh, have made the NCAA tournament first of all, and where exactly they will be playing. Uh, their games will be next Friday and Saturday if they make it. So the first round Friday, second round Saturday, if they so make that as well but yeah just an unfortunate 79 to 75 loss and it's surprisingly the blue streaks hadn't lost to marietta in the postseason since 1998 and uh you know just history not on their side for this one or it was on their side originally and then marietta played spoiler to that and uh it was just you know chase top into uh luke frazier in the beginning missed two free throws towards the end and offensive rebound went to Henry Rayner with 47 seconds left. Chase Chase Toppin drained a three-pointer to make it 75 apiece. Then the next possession, there one one of the referees called an offensive foul on Marietta, and one of the other ones said it was a it was just a, a regular foul, and that put John Carroll above 10 fouls, and which sent Marietta to the line for two. Henry Rayner was about to inbound the ball. And then it, it was it was a very questionable call, and then Marietta sank both free throws, and then Luke Frazier on the next possession airballed, and then Sami Willoughby from Marietta got the rebound, and then we were forced to the Blue Streaks were forced to foul, and that's pretty much what did the game right there. But it was a questionable call. I, I think there were some questionable calls all night, but I mean, regardless, I, I don't think the Blue Streaks should have been in that situation, anyways, especially with an 18 point lead in the second half, and uh, just just have to do better because. You know, the, the the other thing, too, is, you know, Blue Streaks, it's great that they won the regular season and all that, but every team is going to be like Marietta. They're going to play like Marietta. They're going to play that zone defense against the Blue Streaks, and they're going to be tough and aggressive, and, and they're probably going to have more talent than Marietta does. So every single game in this NCAA tournament, if the Blue Streaks make it, is going to be a battle. And I just really hope that they're prepared they you know they're prepared especially to face zone defenses because that's kind of been the blue streaks Achilles heel all year. So it's it's going to be a wild wild ride I think for sure uh the next couple of days to figure out where exactly the blue streaks are going to head to. Uh, hopefully on Friday uh when they play in the first round in the NCAA tournament uh as well. Women's basketball finishing their season at 500. 13 and 13 kind of what I thought they would finish at the beginning of the year. Eight and ten in conference play as well. They ended their season kind of on a on a high note in the regular season with an eighty nine eighty six victory, an upset win over Baldwin Wallace, who is number 12, 12 in the country. That was in University Heights, and uh, I was I was out swimming. I did not see that game, but uh, I mean, just held the lead steadily uh, throughout most of the first half and just hung on there. At the end, but a big upset win. Remember last time the the uh, Yellow Jackets came to University Heights, they beat the Blue Streaks in the OEC Championship game when Nicole Heffington missed that game um, because of a uh, an ankle injury. So, uh, you know they had they had a couple twenty point scorers, Emily Irwin and Bella Valiant for Baldwin Wallace, but 
just was not enough for the blue streak as the blue streaks went on and had four double digit scores. Hallie Landy is leading the way in that one, 20 points. Jalen Hoffman, how about her with 18? Eight of 11 from the field. Kaylin Underwood with 16. Ava Rincars with 13, who, in my opinion, has a very bright future for this Blue Streak team. They unfortunately lost to Wilmington the next game, 70 to 61, the regular season finale, but that was okay in terms of seeding because the Blue Streaks ended up sneaking in, similar to the men's tournament, just the top six teams. They snuck in as the last seed, the, set, the, the sixth seed, and then had a rematch with Baldwin Wallace in Berea, who was the three seed. They lost that one, 73 to 62. John Carroll actually had a lead after the first quarter. They were up 15-9, and they really battled throughout the game, but just could not end up in the win column as, as Baldwin Wallace just took a little bit of revenge, I think, from that, that game last Wednesday uh, that they lost. Landy's, how about her leading the way again? 17 points for her, and then ring cars with 14 as well. I mean, it's just, But 17 turnovers compared to just nine for Baldwin Wallace. I think that's that's one of the key stats that uh, that kind of tells the story of this game uh, for the Blue Streaks, that's for sure. But, yeah, I think Beth Andrews now just just completed her third season as head coach for the Blue Streaks. I really do think that this team has a bright future. Now we're starting to see a lot more of Beth Andrews recruits, as most of the really good players from the last couple years in the dynasty were more so Kelly Marone's recruits. And so uh, Kaylin Underwood, Jalen Hoffman, the two seniors, will be graduating for the Blue Streaks. But back, I mean, Hallie Landys will be back. Ava Rincars, can't wait to see her develop more. And I'm sure Landys will be will be starting right out the gate after coming off the bench earlier in the year and then and then working her way in the starting lineup. But Rincars, I've told people, she rem- well, reminds me a lot of Nicole Heffington. Uh, same, same sort of build, can shoot the three, also play down low. Carmen Huker is kind of like the next Hanabuchi, uh, except I think that Carmen's a little bit better of a scorer. Uh, or more of a scoring threat, I should say. And she's really come along, especially in that department, this season. So can is really in there a lot for defense, but can definitely um, sneak up on you on offense. And then she's proved that the last month or so of the season. Uh, Maddie Petrowski, she's another one of those kind of do-it-all players a little bit um, that I think is, is kind of, could be like kind of like a glue piece for the Blue Streaks. And then Kaylee McKenney, I mean, she was she played 26 minutes, the freshman from Cincinnati. In that game against BW in this in the OEC quarterfinals, so you know they definitely have some building pieces. I think it, I think it's just going to be all about experience, and of course, whoever Beth Andrews brings in as, as some freshmen next year to see if they can contribute. But they obviously they're, they're going to be very junior heavy next year, and just uh, is it, it appears as though Hallie Landy's and Angela Vin Antonio will be the only two seniors, true seniors, that will be on the team next year as well. So. Bright future for Beth Andrews. I know it was a little bit of a rebuilding year, but still the sixth seed, and and I kind of thought that they would be around 500 this year, and uh, you know especially a good way to good way to finish out uh, at least the second to last regular season game with a win over nationally ranked Baldwin Wallace. And now I want to talk about swimming. Now, what an excellent excellent weekend in Akron at the Ocasek Natatorium on the campus of the University of Akron where the Blue Streaks men's and women's teams each won their seventh straight OAC championship. And that, that atmosphere was so electric. I, I was on the broadcast for all four days. And three of those days, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Oliver Wensler, the son of the late, great Chris Wensler, who's now the head head swim coach at Brush High School, right down the street from John Carroll. And I, I got to say, it was it was really, truly an honor for me to broadcast with Oliver 
back in 2020, I had broadcasted with Chris, and that was his last OAC Swim Championships he ever broadcasted. He took a lot of pride in making sure that that stream that we had a stream for the OAC Championships. He was the first SID to ever have a stream for the championships, and I, I actually was bro- was his broadcast partner during his last one before he passed away. And I wanted to make sure that that tradition continued uh, through through Chris's son Oliver, and I believe that. It went very well, and I'm very. I know Chris was looking down on us, and uh, and then not only just Oliver and I, but really just all 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 the swimmers at John Carroll, and, and really throughout the OAC as well, because he was just so instrumental in keeping that alive and making sure that you know the swimmers got the coverage that they so deserved. I mean, they work really, really. I mean, how many how many you know morning practices and all those yardage that they swim, and it's just all just all. Uh, accumulating to these championships this past weekend and just a dominating finish as well the men's team scored 948 points that was over 200 more points than their second place counter partners mount union and the women's team scoring 1038 points that's the most points they've ever scored in an oac championship that was almost 300 points more than second place mount union as well Liam mcdonald winning OAC Swimmer of the Year for the second time in his career, and Olivia Goodman, the freshman, winning Swimmer of the Year honors as well on the women's side. Liam McDonald, he won every single event that he was a part of, and it was pretty impressive to see uh, his you know his contributions in all seven of his events. They started off that Wednesday with an 800-free relay. That was with him, uh, Jake Farr, Joe Nadur, a freshman and Aiden O'Neill. He also won the 200 free relay. And then what I thought was definitely the most exciting event of the entire weekend, and probably the highlight for me, was when Liam McDonald set the OAC record in the 50 freestyle with a 19.87 time. That is the first time in OAC history that a swimmer has broken 20 seconds. And currently that ranks him third in the entire country in the 50 freestyle. So with that, he does qualify for nationals. And I know Liam was really happy about it. And see, the thing with the the thing that makes Liam so unique, I think, as a swimmer, especially at this level, is so when you when you first dive into the pool, you have a certain amount of yardage that you can go until you your head has to come out of the water and then you have to start your stroke. So and that and that is is 15 yards. Because it's 25 yards down the entire length of the pool. Your head has to be up by 15 yards. Most guys get their head out of the water before that. And they start doing their strokes. But Liam McDonald has worked so hard on mastering this craft of as soon as he dives in, he goes the entire 15 yards up to the absolute maximum limit that you can go up to uh, to you know underwater before you you start to rise and he is so good underwater you can see how powerful his legs are and how he takes that massive lead over people underwater while most other people already have their heads above and are already starting their strokes Liam is still underwater <laughs> doing doing his thing and uh, just really really fun to see and he is so good like that and you know he only needs to take a certain amount of strokes uh, some of these other guys are taking way more strokes, but he's able to to do it right on the border there of the 15 yards. So just I think that's just one of the many reasons why he's such a special swimmer. He also helped set a record in the 200 medley relay, OAC record 127.60. He also set an OAC record in the 100 backstroke, 46.95. He won that race by 
uh, about three seconds as well. He also won the 100 freestyle, and he was part of the 400 free relay team as well. And also, on the men's side, I talked about Joe Nadir earlier being on that 800 free relay team with McDonald. Joe Nadir was a strong candidate for OAC Swimmer of the Year as well, the freshman from outside of Columbus. He set OAC records in the 200 and 400 IMs. 149.84 was his 200 IM record. 400 IM was 359.18. Extremely impressive. And the IM, remember, folks, that is a very hard swim to do because the IM means you're doing all four strokes. You're doing the backstroke, you're doing the breaststroke, the butterfly, and the freestyle. And the fact that you're able to do those strokes so consistently, and as, a, as especially as a freshman, to set two OAC records in the 400, I mean, you're doing a, you're doing 100 yards of each stroke. So that's down and back, down and back. So it, it, it's just so impressive to see. He actually ended up being an alternate for the national at nationals for the 200 IM. So he's not he didn't officially qualify for nationals, but if certain guys, um, you know, don't compete in that event or they compete in something else, then they can move Nadir up. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the, his chances are probably slim, but we shall see if he qualifies for nationals with that very impressive time. 149.84. But remember, folks, he's just a freshman, so he's he's got definitely room to improve. Uh, and it's just only going to get better from here, I think, for, for Nadir. And so with some of these times this weekend, we uh, Blue Streaks had six swimmers qualify for nationals, including three relay teams. The 200 freestyle relay that had a B-cut mark of 126.5, Daniel Argalius, Michael Heller, Bryce Liddell, and Liam McDonnell qualify for that. 200 medley relay, McDonnell, Jonah Venos, Liddell, and Argalius. They had a time of 127.60 that got a B-cut. The 400 medley relay of McDonnell, Heller, Venos, and Owen Holm, freshman for JCU, 317.30 was their time. They qualified with the B cut. And then McDonnell qualified in three individual events in the 50 free, the 100 backstroke, as we mentioned before, and the 100 fly, 47.12 he went at the OAC championships as well. And Jonah Venos qualifying in one individual event, the 2022 OAC swimmer of the year, Venos, now a senior. He qualified in the 100 breaststroke with a time of 54.33. And as I mentioned before, Joe Nadir is a alternate in the 200 IM. And also on the women's side, Olivia Goodman, we mentioned before, swimmer of the year. She won the 200 IM. She was on the 400 medley relay team, the 200 medley relay team that won. She also won the 400 IM in the 200 fly. So how about that? Two John Carroll swimmers winning both the 200 and 400 IM, and they're both freshman as well folks Gwyneth Hamilton also made a strong case for OEC swimmer of the year she is the reigning OEC swimmer of the year 2022 from last year I should say she won the 50 freestyle and she actually set an OEC record or I'm sorry a school record 23.81 was her time and that was during the prelims race earlier on uh, that Friday uh, she was also on the 800 free relay 200 free relay 400 medley relay and 400 free relay teams and the 400 free relay team actually set an OAC record. 3.30.57 was their time. She also got third in the 100 fly, second in the 100 free. And Marin Dalzio, can't talk about her enough as well. She's another star freshman like Olivia Goodman. I believe she got second in the running for OAC Swimmer of the Year just based on uh, how many first place finishes they had. She was on that 200 and 800 free relay teams, the 400 free and medley relays. She also got second in the 500 free 
She set an OAC record in the 200 free with a time of 153.73. She broke Gwen Ledrick's record, and she also won the 100 free as well. So very impressive finishes. Uh, you can go to jcsports.com to check out all the other uh, results from that meet, but those are just some highlights for you folks. And just impressive again, seven straight victories, uh, seven straight championships for John Carroll uh, in the last seven years, both on the men's and women's side as well. A couple more sports to get to before we head to our interview with Andrew Perelka and Luke Rakoski. Track and field, they are competing as we speak in the OAC Indoor Championships. We'll talk about that more next week, but they did have a meet last week as some folks were at the Silverstone Invite at the University of Michigan, and most of the team was at the the uh, Ed Finnegan Greater Cleveland College's Invite at Case Western. At the uh, Silverstone Invite, Corey Minton from Canada, he... He competed in the triple jump. He actually finished third with a mark of 14.09. And then there were a couple folks that were in the 200-meter race. That was Garrett Clark. He raced to a time of 21.63. He got second. And Bashir Al-Rami, who's also on the John Carroll soccer team, he finished fourth with a time of 22.08. Dustin Horner, Victor Anagobu, and Mick Doyle also competed as well, all in the 200 meter. And then a couple of throwers competed at Case Western. Jimmy Cartsanis, uh, he also competed in the long jump at Case Western. And then a bunch of others uh, at, at Case Western as well. And on the women's side, Taylor Anthony was the lone women's athlete to represent John Carroll at the Silverstone Invite in Ann Arbor. She uh, competed in the 60 meter. She finished 11th with a time of 7.87. More throwers uh, were over at uh, Case Western as well. They ended up getting first place over all the women's team as a team at Case. And uh, also just some some more notable performers. Morgan Dobos, freshman. She won the 500 meter. 123.39 was her time. And uh, and also uh, Amanda Kai, Morgan Edwards, Jen Masucci, Sarah Weldon all snagging the top four spots in the mile race as well to round out some some of the uh, highlights, I guess, on uh, for men's and women's track. And as I mentioned, they are currently competing this weekend at Baldwin-Wallace for the OAC Indoor Championships. They are currently, at the time of recording, second place uh, right now behind Mount Union, both on the men's and women's sides as well. Women's lacrosse starting their season, and just unfortunately, they lost to uh, Worcester and that was uh, that was back on Wednesday and for their uh, season opener they lost eight, 14 to 8 and uh, you know it's going to be interesting this year because they have interim head coach Mike Petrella with a couple of new assistants as well Ben Clemens and Brooke McQuinn who is the uh, former OAC defensive player of the year for the Blue Streaks when she played she's class of 2019 from John Carroll as well so some new coaches that they have Mike Petrell, of course, was the goalie coach before taking over as interim head coach. A couple of the goal scorers for the Blue Streak, Shannon Burdick and Olivia Gerlach, each with two goals. Kaylin Perryman, Kendall Gessner, Anna Spitzer, a freshman. Olivia Hanulak, uh, also all uh, with goals as well. Playing most of the game in goal was Josephine Lawler. She played 47 minutes, and, and then Livy Munding played 12 minutes uh, in net as well. And their first home game of the season is going to be March 1st, coming up real soon. Uh, as they'll take on Oberlin, 
And uh, that'll be at Shula Stadium at 6 p.m. And then they'll have a game at Kenyon tomorrow, Saturday at 2.30 in Gambier. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, they lost some key players like Alex Heishman and a couple other attacks. But I think that, you know, the Blue Streaks overall, kind of a, kind of a good mix of young and, old, young and old players, I guess. And, uh, you know, you got Laney Donaldson defending and, and uh, you know, she's a, re- she's a real senior leader for the Blue Streaks as well. Maddie Eifert back after an injury last year, uh, defender from Cincinnati. So I think, um, you know, and then one key challenge for the Blue Streaks is definitely going to be Capital this year in the OAC as they lost to Capital in the uh, championship game last year. And, uh, you know, so I think I think that's really going to be the Blue Streaks' big test this year. But there's other teams like Ohio Northern and, and, some, and maybe even BW who could really you know, make some noise. Mount Union, of course, can always make noise, but I think it could be competitive this year, but I think Capital is going to be the one team that the Blue Streaks are definitely going to go after this year. Uh, that's for sure. And then they'll they'll take, after the Oberlin game, they're going to have a little East Coast trip over spring break. They're going to play in New Jersey, they're going to play in Connecticut, and they'll play in Rochester, New York against RIT, and then they're going to go to Michigan the week after and play Albion uh, in Albion as well. And just before we get to our interview with the wrestlers, men's tennis competing against the number two team in the country, Case Western. They lost that one 9-0. They have not won a single set yet this season. They're 0-4. couple of just highlights uh, on the two-single side. Anthony Markello ended up winning two sets but lost 6-2. Grant Sarnowski won a set but lost 6-1-6-0. And Kevin Wainick uh, ended up winning three sets total but lost 6 one 6 as well. So coming up next, we have our interview with Andrew Peralka and Luke Rakoski, only on the Streak Center Podcast. You're listening to Streak Center on jcusports.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at StreakCenterJCU to stay up to date on guests, episodes, and more. Now, let's get back to the show. And joining us now here on the Streak Center podcast are two special guests on the John Carroll wrestling team ahead of the regional meet this weekend. Fifth-year seniors, Andrew Perelka. And Luke Rakoski, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, old veterans uh, of this show, uh, you guys are for sure. <laughs> yeah, it feels like just yesterday I was in this cubicle speaking to you. <laughs> I guess you could, you, I guess you could call it a cubicle <laughs> with the the, the small little office uh, here over at WJCU. Uh, that is for sure. But um, you know, guys, uh, I just want to know, you know, how how do you think the season's been going so far, and um, you know, what are some things that maybe the you and the team have, have grown on throughout the year? Uh, I'd say it's been pretty much a, a success for the most part. There's a couple couple matches we'd like to get back, a couple dual meets we could have uh, done a little better in, but all in all, I think it's been a pretty successful season. And I think we've grown a lot more. Uh, the atmosphere of the team whenever I was a freshman is completely different as than it is now it's more of like it feels like more of a family now than it was when i was a freshman everybody was a little more distant like the seniors didn't really associate with the freshmen or anything like that but now it's like we're just one 
big happy family. Yeah, and to touch off that, I think we've had a pretty decent season overall. I mean, it's it's hard to put your best ten guys out every weekend and like in a dual meet setting. Um, and this year it kind of showed a couple dual meets where we didn't perform the way we would have liked to or got the outcome we wanted. Uh, but now with regionals approaching this weekend, uh, having our 10 main guys back in the lineup for the most part, um, it's going to be a good weekend ahead of us. And the season so far has been pretty successful, I would agree. Yeah, 10-3 and three, uh, in overall in dual meets, I guess. The only three losses, one was to wisconsin Platteville, That was back at Olivet. And then the other two, Baldwin-Wallace and Ohio Northern, two, uh, two OAC matches yeah. uh, as well. But uh, fourth place, uh, last last overall big team tournament, I guess you guys went to, Pete Wilson Invitational, always a, a yearly tradition. Um, fourth place at that, back on uh, January 27th and 28th. Um, you know, just historically, you guys always go there to Wheaton College. Uh, you know, what what does that tournament mean to you guys? And Because, I mean, some of the best teams in Division Three are there every year. I'm sure it's a great tune-up for, uh, for regionals and nationals as well. Yeah, it's a good tournament because you're getting to see teams from uh, the more Midwest, like Wisconsin, um, I think Indiana, some teams that we don't really see much in our conference as well as at other tournaments. Like when we go to Chicago, it's more of the different side of the Midwest, so we're not getting to see the same competition as much. So Wheaton was a good tournament. Uh, like I said, again, we, we didn't have our 10 best guys in the lineup, but I mean, it still showed that our depth is there and we were able to place fourth um, at a pretty hard Division Three tournament. So that was uh, something good to build off of going into the last match of the year, which was Heidelberg. So, yeah. I, I, Wheaton is a very tough tournament. Uh, last year, I, I remember I took seventh at Wheaton and uh, was felt pretty down about it, but then I went on to take seventh in the nation. I was like, okay, this tournament is pretty tough so we had a couple guys place at that tournament i told them hey you guys can place at nationals now earlier in the year you guys went to north central as well which is kind of in that chicago area uh did you see a lot of the same teams at north central that you did at wheaton or was it a little different uh, i would say it was a little different actually mm. for being how close it was to wheaton it was a different group of teams uh like at the chicago one there was some minnesota teams um and then, like, at Wheaton, there was not any teams from Minnesota or Iowa. It was mostly Chicago or – how do I say it? Chicago area schools. Like, North Central had their B team there um, for some reason. So, I would say for the most part, it was different schools um, for being a 45-minute drive from each other. Yeah. I only – at North Central, I only wrestled – I wrestled two North Central kids and two Augsburg kids. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't wrestle – I had four matches and I didn't wrestle anybody besides those two teams. So, and you guys got fourth place uh, at that tournament as well as the Wheaton tournament, which we talked about earlier. Um, but you guys, both you guys, are fifth year seniors. Um, you know, using the COVID year to come back. Uh, I just want to know what was it for you guys that was the deciding factor in coming back? Because obviously you guys didn't have to, but what what was the reasoning for uh, for wanting to do that fifth year? Uh. For me, um, I, I was working full-time throughout the summer, um, wasn't working out or wasn't doing much of anything, and then I realized that the real world, there's no rush to get into it, so I kind of took a little step back and decided to pursue um, a master's program here, and so I think in all, end of August, I made the decision, um, and that was probably the biggest thing was the real world I knew was going to be challenging. There was no need to rush. Um, my parents were pretty much bought into my idea and what I wanted to do with this last year so that worked out well um, and then my lease for my apartment 
I made the mistake of signing a whole nother year before I made a decision. So <laughs> I was already stuck living here too. <laughs> For me, uh, I knew right right after nationals last year, I knew I was coming back. There was no way I wasn't gonna. Uh, I remember watching whenever I watched Andrew make it to the finals last year. I was like, oh gosh, I want to do that again next year. There's no way I can't. And then uh, we have an old coach Romano who told me that <laughs> if I didn't wrestle, I would again I'd regret it for the rest of my life because I will never ever be able to wrestle competitively again. And he made that clear every day for like a month. <laughs> towards the end of last year mm-hmm. you know it's funny you talk about coach romano because you know every time i would see him uh after the season was over i always i you know he'd be walking through the student center and and i would say you know is, is rakowski and perelka are they coming back like what's what's going on and he, he's like i'm trying to get them back and then and then yeah. after after uh, the summer then coach uh coach haywell told me you guys were coming back and i was i was so i was really happy when, when i heard that news and i'm, I'm ho- hopefully you guys are uh, are happy with that decision as well, but uh, Andrew, earlier this year, back uh, earlier in the year, in uh, I believe it was November nineteenth, yes, against Alma, yes. you broke the career pin record at John Carroll, uh, overtaking I believe a twenty year old record by Mark Mike Markovich, uh, Coach Haywald's former teammate here yeah. at John Carroll, and uh, that w- that must have been a really exciting accomplishment. I was wondering. Is this something that you always had your eye on for a long time, or was it just something that earlier this year it came uh, up and, and it just kind of came? Know? It came with like the success I was finding pinning kids. It kind of came off that, and I realized that if I kept up what I did my freshman year and continued that for three more years, I had a chance at breaking it. So I was like, that was a a small reason I wanted to come back too, because I think I was like three matches away from getting that pin record when I graduated last year. So. That was definitely like a little cherry on the top of to come back. And what, and what did it mean to you when you got that record? Uh, I was I was happy I got that because I had like the the single season record, so getting mm-hmm. the all time kind of solidified that it wasn't maybe a fluke. I got it that my freshman year, so that was that was a nice feeling. And did you get to talk to Mike Markovic at all? I did. I did talk to him. He actually went to my high school, mm-hmm. uh, Braxville. I didn't know him personally before that, but now uh, I've seen him at like two other matches since then. So, and uh, both of you guys, uh, Peralka, about a month later on December third, you reached, you became the tenth blue streak to reach a hundred career wins, and then the next week, Luke, you got, you became the eleventh wrestler, yeah, December tenth to reach 100 wins as well. What what is what is getting that 100 wins mean for you guys? I mean, cuz I know in high school it's a, it's a really big deal, but in college it's definitely more rare. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll first say um it's top 10, you know, not top 11. So, <laughs> oh, I yes. I beat Luke. We had we had a bet, we had a bet who would get it first, and I think Luke was hurt for a tournament or something. So, I was able to get ahead of him. So that was a nice feeling. I think I miscounted too the wins. I thought, <laughs> I thought we were tied, but he was actually up by two. <laughs> yeah, the whole time I was up by two, and we thought we were tied. That was funny. <laughs> but yeah, that was a to get a hundred uh, was that was another good good moment to check off the bucket list. Um, and like the last thing that I want to check off, I just want to I really want to win this year, and I would have all the the T's and I's dotted and I'd <laughs> crossed. crossed and I'd. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was happy I hit the hundred. Uh, as soon as I hit the hundred, all I was looking at was beating Coach Haywald's. He has the all time win record, and 
I, d- I was looking at it and to beat the all-time at the point when I hit 100 to beat the all-time win record and to tie the single season win record I had to win like 22 more matches but I ended up not wrestling in a couple tournaments so that was out of the question for me but uh Patrick next he's gonna smoke it next year he's gonna beat the uh all-time win record by probably 20 20 wins easily. yeah so you think he'll come back for a fifth year McGraw? Patrick oh yeah he yeah definitely, he loves it too much he'll uh-huh. he'll be back and He's going to smoke Haywald's record, and Haywald's going to be all sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's the, all that big wrestling tradition at, at John Carroll, for sure, that we'll get into actually a little bit later on. Uh, but I do want to ask you guys as well about just your routine and practice at wrestling in general. You know, wh- What's the routine like, and what, what's a normal practice like for you guys up in the wrestling room? Uh, it's, it starts with uh, hitting the timer in the corner. Um, we go to 90 minutes most days. Some days we go a little bit over, but the first 10 is usually a good warm up, like a circuit warm up, something like that. If we're lucky, dodgeball. If the <laughs> uh, the amount of guys show up right now, being that it's postseason, um, it's not required that all the starters show up, but or all the starters do show up. But the backups, they don't have to show up if they have other commitments. But it's if they do get the time to show up, then we could play dodgeball because that gives us more kids on the team. Uh, then we usually go through a stretch after the warm-up. Then we jump into maybe a 30-minute drill, 15 minutes alive, get water, change shirts, then go back at it. Maybe the last 20 minutes is usually pretty hard, I would say. Yeah, and then in the mornings, uh, second half of the season, so second semester, uh, we start doing morning conditionings and lifting. So it's usually like a lift consisting of – like four to five lifts and then uh like a seven minute conditioning upstairs and another seven minute conditioning downstairs so it's basically just a good good lift make your muscles think that you're still lifting so that they don't go away and nothing to pack on too much muscle just to basically maintain and then basically two matches but of doing something conditioning like riding the bike or doing a treadmill or I don't know. So Coach Haywald loves setting up his circuits. That's like one of his favorite things to do is to make a, a circuit that makes you pretty damn tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I when I wrestled, in my just for the folks at home, when I wrestled for two years in high school, I mean, I've never been in better shape than, than, than <laughs> when I wrestled. Even better than when I played eight years of football. So uh, way better, actually. So, uh, so you know, the, the, the amount of work that these guys go through and, and the, the shape that they're in is, is – quite remarkable uh, that that is for sure uh but i want to know as well uh, how was it that you guys uh or, or why were the reasons uh for getting into wrestling uh early on and earlier before john carroll yeah for me it was the neighborhood the neighborhood kids uh then we were like trick-or-treating when i was in like first second grade and one of my friends at the time said he was going to wrestling practice the next week and i was like oh i'll tag along with you and then i I ended up really liking it, and he quit, which was interesting. So I, I was, like, the last one from the neighborhood then to wrestle. And then uh, throughout middle school and high school, I, I found a group of guys that had the same goals, their goals on the mat, uh, like what they wanted to accomplish. So I stuck around them, and they kind of elevated me to, to perform better. And then when they graduated, I enjoyed taking on, like, the role that they took on with me. And then when I got to college, it was, like, the perfect amount of work, school and then also wrestling like the balance was very important so that was the reason why like i like john carroll and i also in got started with wrestling 
Uh, when I was a kid, my older brother started going to wrestling practice because my dad wrestled and then pretty much got me involved. And then from there, uh, I'm just super competitive. I always, I always enjoyed it pretty much. I never was really very good at it until like junior year of high school. And then I remember I quit my junior year of high school right before the season started because I was like, I want to focus on playing football. I want to be <laughs> a big football player. And I was like, no, nah, you know what? I, I, I might as well, I think I should just keep wrestling. It's not going to hurt. And then I ended up wrestling in college. I almost, no, but tell them how you came here, though. Why you came here. Yeah. Why? For football. Oh, no, I was gay. I was going to play football and, and wrestle. It was really more, more so wrestling. And I, like a couple weeks into the summer, I texted the football coach and asked him if I could play football, too. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, that's ah, just too much. I don't need to do both. And I'm glad I didn't because my freshman year roommate was a football player and he was waking up at like 6 a.m. every day to do stuff. And I don't know. It just seems like it would have been a full plate and more. Well, isn't Brady Lexo on the wrestling team and he also plays football as well? Yeah, he's, right? yeah. I would call him a part, he's a part-time teammate. No, he's a full-time teammate now. As soon as, his, <laughs> soon, as soon as football is done, he, he comes in and he, he messes some dudes and up. And Johnny Spinner as well. Spinner, oh, yeah. I don't know if he played – does he play football anymore, or did he play football? I know he used to play. I think he used to play. I don't think okay. he plays anymore. But yeah, but Brady was committed. Like he, I, I said, part time is in. He wrestles like as much as he can with football. Yeah, if, if if he came into wrestling, like only wrestling, didn't do football, and was focused on that, and he got his gas tank up, yeah. he would be a menace. He would be unstoppable. Well, you know, historically, blue streak. Football players and wrestle, uh, have wrestled before, like, such as uh, Joe Bertalone, All-American in the 70s, and uh, so did Mark Sullivan, Patrick McGraw's former high school coach as well in the 80s uh, at John Carroll, and among many other football players. It's, it's, hard, it's definitely harder to do now, uh, just with more time commitments and whatnot, but, but historically there have been uh, some football and wrestlers here at, at John Carroll doing both sports uh, as well. But, you know, I, who, who was the coach that recruited you for football, Luke? Do you remember? I have no idea. I just okay. remember texting a guy. I probably still have his phone number. <laughs> Give him a call right now. <laughs> well, Luke, uh, you know, he went to North Canton Hoover High School, which is uh, outside of Canton, of course, the uh, the cradle of football. And it seems like uh, everyone since birth is, is playing that sport for sure. But Luke opted to go with more wrestling uh, and, of course, is uh, very successful at that as well. And I, I want to know, guys, now being here for five years, uh, you know, how have you felt that you've grown both on and off the mat during your time at John Carroll here? I've grown off the mat here. I've grown, I'd say, I took a, a big jump from, like, last year graduating with my undergrad to coming back. I It opened my eyes up to life and, um, like, my time management skills and commitments with work and also my time commitment that I gave Coach Hill my word on that I'd be at practices and morning lifts. So it definitely opened my eyes to, um, like, realizing what's important in life. And, like, I'm a big person. If I say I'll be there at so-and-so time, like, I'll be there at that time because I feel like that's really important to me and that's something that Coach Haywald preaches. Uh, don't put your name down on something if you're not going to be able to make it. So I definitely off the mat I've grown. And then on the mat I definitely have seen – Believe it or not, my maturity level from freshman year to like now, I kind of I see what the younger kids in our team might need to push them in the right direction. Because when I was a freshman, I didn't, I just looked up to whoever, whatever age they were. I, no matter how good they were, 
Like if they were a senior, I, I trusted their opinion. I valued their opinion. So now I try and do the same thing for the younger kids on our team and kind of push them in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I would just – the older kids when we were freshmen weren't the, the best wrestlers or – they didn't really care to work that hard, but oh, they were the older kids. They they've been here. They've been around the block. They know what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, but on yeah, on the mat, I feel like I've grown from learning from that. That that's not really necessarily the case. Uh, like Patrick, I feel like Patrick came in like young and let everyone through. N- not even work like his words, but how hard he worked. And I was like, oh, anybody can be a leader on the team. And pretty much for my sophomore year, I feel like I've been considered one of the leaders on the team and i feel like i've matured in that sense and then outside i feel like the time management thing of being a basically a grown-up is a lot just having to schedule out like working working out uh doing like basically all just like the home living like living by myself like i have to like clean cook do all that stuff and also wrestle work work out twice and just uh having that time management skills actually is very important. And are you guys both still undergrads, or are you guys doing masters? Masters. masters. Okay, both masters. So you did. Like you guys Stephane, did graduate. Like Stefan Farian, he's he was in his undergrad, so he kind of didn't have a choice. Like he had a choice to come back, but he also had to finish his degree. So now he's in the masters program for the second half of the season. Right. Um, also, too, guys. Uh, you know, Andrew Peralka, like, like I mentioned, breaking the uh, career pin record. Uh, I was wondering earlier a little bit, what is there like a, a secret that you have to this, or is it just kind of like you just are very technical and you just know how to, to pin these guys, or is it like, is there a the secret? Se- the secret is, for anyone from another team listening, um, I don't want I get tired, so I don't want to be on the mat long. I want to get yeah. it over with, because then the longer the match goes, the maybe the better, better chance my opponent could beat me. <laughs> Good, uh, good answer there. I would say for sure. Uh, don't don't tire Andrew Peralka out, uh, or uh, you know you want to keep him uh, on the mat as short as possible yeah. for sure. <laughs> Talking with Andrew Peralka and Luke Rakowski, uh, both fifth years on the John Carroll wrestling team. A couple more questions for you guys. Uh, you know, you guys have a lot of new coaches this year overall. Um, George D. Camillo, Tyler Johnson. Garrett Lindenberg, uh, and then Bill Spleet as well. Uh, you know, how have these guys, these four new coaches, uh, helped you guys with your success this season? I would say that they all they all found a group of guys on the team that they like to to coach and mentor, and their presence has definitely helped our team in a positive way um, all around. From um, like Coach Lineberger coming from Notre Dame, who's a two time uh, national champ for them. Uh, he he brings a lot of like technique wise stuff to our team. Then you got like George D. Camillo, who's young enough to where he could wrestle four or five days a week hard uh, with the lighter guys on the team, which is nice. Uh, Coach Spleet brings a lot of expertise and knowledge, being um, re- around wrestling his whole entire life. And he uh, he was a state champ uh, for a Cleveland school. I forget. I think it was Saint Joe's. Yeah, Saint Joe's. Mm-hmm. So like each coach brings in their their special touch to the team. Um, and they may, may not touch everyone on the team, but they touch a few guys. And so having four four coaches that can touch three or four guys, uh, it's really nice because they focus a lot on those three or four guys. Yeah, I'd, I'd say each of them kind of like has their group. Like I'd say like Garrett is the the one I go to the most. And I, if at any chance I get to drill with him, I drill with him. Uh, and then like Andrew drills with George pretty much every day that George is in. He's able to get with uh, 
coach De Camillo. But yeah, like George focuses more on the you, they, everybody coaches everybody, but uh, you find the you find the guy that you like to drill with and you like to have in your corner. And so, by the, at this point, you know who you want to have around and who you want working with you, and they do the same. They come and reach they reach out to you and make sure you're doing all the right things, which is always appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's nice. It's nice to have them around, and especially right now when not everybody's showing up. Like uh, Coach Tyler is a great drill partner to have around all the time. He uh, he's willing to go in there and pretty much just take the beating. <laughs> like if he has to wrestle Patrick for an hour and a half, no one wants to do that. Going with Patrick for an hour and a half is brutal. At this point, I I opt out of it a lot of times because he just likes to bully kids. And Coach Tyler goes in there and. Puts a, pushes Pat's pace and matches it and gives everyone a great workout. And I got to drill with him yesterday, and he almost broke me too. I was pretty tired. But, yeah, it's good to have them all around. And, uh, and Andrew, I want to ask you, I know last time you were on, we talked a lot about your uh, your, your, your fishing yes. uh, a hobby for sure. I'm just wondering, how's the fishing been, uh, you know, since we last talked and uh, during the uh, the, Florida, the Florida training trip? Yeah. Did you guys, actually, did you fish at all? Yeah. I, I actually have not been steelhead fishing at all oh, yeah. recently with my commitment, I told myself, with wrestling. So I haven't steelhead fished, but when we were in Florida in Key West, Kale Bacaizo and, and I, we went uh, on a guide trip to like the Marquesos, which is like a little outside of Key West, maybe like 15 miles, and it's basically like a foot of water, just like five mile long, where it's a foot of water, and you could sight fish these like bonefish um, and barracudas. So we went on a trip, and it was like six hours. So that was really fun. It was just me and him on a 17 foot boat with the guide in the middle of the the ocean. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, fishing has been pretty good. I, I've taken a little break, believe it or not, because I was trying to enjoy this last couple months of wrestling. But once March 15th hits after St. Patrick's Day. I'll be back at it. <laughs> do you ever go ice fishing? I do not. No, actually, I do not. Like, right now, Lake Erie has not froze over at all this year to right. even be allowed to ice fish. But, um, like, I know a family friend of mine who he likes to go up to, like, Minnesota, on uh, Lake Minnetoka, it's called. And that's a really good ice fishing spot. So maybe next year with all the free time I'll have, I'll tag along with him. Land of ten thousand lakes yes. over in Minnesota. Uh, Luke, what what are your hobbies? Uh, do you like to fish as well? <laughs> uh, I am not a fisherman. I, I told Andrew I'd go out with him and you know support and sit out in the sun and maybe enjoy a beverage. But uh, I, I enjoy like working out, lifting, those sort of things. I, I I'd like to get into coaching once wrestling's over for us. Yeah, bring Andrew and I back and pay for the right price. <laughs> Would it be high school or, or college? I'd rather do college. Yeah, I, I, like I went college. back to, I went back to Hoover and wrestled with some of the high school kids, and high school kids are they're just dirty. Even like the best <laughs> high school kids. Like looking back, I'd be like, when I was in high school and you wrestle a high school kid who was really good, you'd be like, wow, this kid's good. And even like, like the, a Division three kid comes back in the room and wrestles a really good high school kid. It's crazy that they, that I mean, they're a grown man, but the still, difference. it is a huge difference. Honestly, I kind of felt the same way. Like, like, you know, I wasn't a really good wrestler in high school, but like when I wrestled a really good kid, I was like, "Wow, this kid's really good." And then I saw what he did in college. Like, if the kid wrestled in college, yeah. and I, I'm like, "Oh, I'm not as impressed." Like, you know, I, I know, I know uh-huh. what you're saying about that. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, just a couple more questions for you guys. Uh, I know I alluded to the wrestling tradition earlier. Of course, the team 1975 is the only 
team to ever win a national championship in any team sport here at John Carroll. And that tradition has just continued with Coach DiCarlo, then Coach Volkman, and now Coach Haywald. Of course, he wrestled here and his father did as well. I tell people that, you know, football tradition and the basketball tradition always gets a lot of attention here at John Carroll, but wrestling is a very underrated tradition here. And I just want to know what is it about that wrestling tradition and what does it mean to you guys wrestling now as one of the many people that have uh, made the na- made nationals before I would say the the ability um, and the strength of our alumni group um, they, they like to support they like to come back and watch um, like like most teams here I'm sure their alumni um, support is great but like for example a couple weeks ago there we had a dual meet um, and one of the youth coaches who was a John Carroll alum, he brought his whole entire youth team here to watch us. Um, and it goes to show that even though he's been out of the sport uh, at John Carroll for maybe 20 years, he still takes the time to bring his whole entire youth team to come watch us because he knows how important it is at a young age to instill maybe John Carroll's tradition and what they stand for. So when those kids are in high school making a decision on where they want to go to college to wrestle, if they do, um, they'll remember that time back when they were in youth that, John Carroll was a special place. Um, and I also would, also would say that, the, um, like when we were in Florida, we had a match in Tampa. Um, one of the guys who re- is retired and lives down there, he made the drive across the state to come watch us. He, even though it was two really crappy teams and we blew them out, he still made the probably four-hour round trip to come watch us. So the network and the, the support from the – and it's mostly like the guys who are in their late 50s to 60s, 70s. Like they, they love coming back and watching, which is – interesting yeah i feel like uh it's like an elite group to be a part of um especially uh being on the all-american wall that's something that everybody wants to do because it's like every day you look up at the wall and you see it during practice and i mean that's just like i always wanted to have my name up there and there's only there's a whole bunch of them the plaques are if you're an all-american they're black and silver writing and if you're a champion they're silver with black writing mm-hmm. and there's just a couple, you know, champions spattered in there everywhere. A lot from like the '70s and '80s. Uh, there hasn't been one in a while, so uh, just looking at that wall every day just made you want to work harder and be a part of that group. And then being a part of the wrestling team itself is just like a big family environment. And uh, I couldn't imagine like not being a part of it. So as soon as this season's over, any way I can like give back if it's if I somehow make a lot of money, I'd love to give money to the team. If I can't, if I could work, if I have the time of day to come and work out and coach and do whatever, I would do that. I would do anything. So it's just like you want to be around it. That just speaks both you guys. I mean, that just speaks to how powerful that tradition is and, and great examples um, that you guys gave for that for sure. Uh, but final question for you guys, of course, regionals this weekend at Case Western. So don't have to travel. You guys could stay stay in Cleveland. And don't have to go to like Adrian or other places like like last year, um, but you know Andrew at na- at the national meet you were second place, uh, yeah. you know runner up to a kid I believe from North Central, yeah. And then at one thirty three, and then Luke you were seventh at one sixty five as well. Um, you know what's it going to take starting this week at the regional meet, um, you know to uh, to hopefully get a really good placement there and, and get back to the national meet. I would say put yourself in the best position to win. Um, no, don't overlook or underlook anyone at the tournament. Even if a guy's better than you on paper, you, you still have a chance to beat them. And if they're not better than you on paper, they'll, they're going to come after you and they want to beat you. Um, embrace it. I would say like the older guys on our team, we have to embrace it, enjoy the last 
six, eight matches left of the season because once, once that's done, it's done. Um, and then also, just good, good focus. If you do lose knock on wood, be able to bounce back and have a short, short-term memory and not let it distract you from your next match. So those are probably the biggest things I would say. Yeah, never, never overlook anybody because anything can happen at these tournaments. Uh, everybody's a college wrestler. They're all going to be tough. Uh, I mean, definitely like care about it, but don't worry about it too much. Because once if you over overthink it, overstress yourself out, instead of just going out there and wrestling, then you're not gonna you're not gonna perform your best. Yeah. So if you can just find a way to relax, like some every uh, coach made us not like write on a piece of paper like what we want before a match. Some people are like game plan get serious type people some people want to just like not be talked to at all some people want to be like put through a quick little workout and me i don't really like to get like too worked up about it i kind of like to just joke around and uh just make sure i'm loose but uh just just have a routine that you do before the match and stay consistent and Mm -hmm. i think that's important just relax and wrestle. That's uh, definitely the the keys I could tell uh, for you guys. That is for sure. But Andrew Perelka and Luke Rakoski, both all Americans here at John Carroll, looking to get back to the national meet and starting with a really really good uh, round, hopefully at regionals this weekend at Case Western Reserve. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. listening to Streak Center on jcusports.com. For the latest news on all things JCU Sports, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at JCU Sports, or visit jcusports.com. Now, let's get back to the show. And a big thank you to Luke Rakoski and Andrew Perelko for coming on the Streak Center podcast. Andrew and Luke have been on before, and they're always wonderful, always joking around, always having a good time. But they're very serious about their wrestling as well, as they are, in my opinion, two of the greatest wrestlers that John Carroll has seen definitely in recent memory and looking to go to Nationals. And Andrew Peralka getting second place last year at Nationals. Luke Rakoski seventh. It's going to all start with a great regional performance at Case Western this weekend. And, of course, if they place in the top three, they will all qualify for the National Meet, which is going to be in Virginia this year in a few weeks as well. And uh, baseball starting their season this weekend as well. We're going to talk about more about them next week. But they are heading down to Beckley, West Virginia, where they always begin their season. They play Allegheny there at an independent league stadium over uh, down in Beckley, just south on 77. You pass Marietta going to there. They'll, they'll play a doubleheader Saturday against the Gators, and then they'll play a single game on Sunday. And that'll be their first game before they head off to Florida. When They're heading off Friday night, and then they'll play Sunday through Friday. So can't wait to see the Blue Streaks in action. I'll be going down to Florida with them this year, taking stats like I did last year. And it should be a lot of fun just catching some sunshine. I'm going to get a nice tan next uh, in two weeks. Uh, you know, we'll be, hopefully be sitting by a pool a little bit, relaxing after some of the games. And it uh, should be a lot of fun and uh, very just a lot of excitement as well. And, and men's lacrosse will be starting up pretty soon as well as uh, their first game. Uh, for the Blue Streaks men's lacrosse team will be 
uh, this, that'll be on uh, March 4th. So they will, they're not, they typically don't do a spring break trip, but they are heading off to Roanoke, which is in Virginia. So no games before that. They do, they did have a scrimmage last Sunday against Wittenberg though. Uh, just a little tune up game against a pretty good Wittenberg team as they always are. And then they're going off to Colorado as well. That'll be Friday, March 10th. That'll, I believe that'll be the furthest that the Blue Streaks have ever traveled for a lacrosse game. So I'm sure they'll have a little bit of fun over uh, near the Rocky Mountains of Colorado Springs, where I was with uh, with volleyball at the beginning of the season over at Colorado College uh, again. So uh, just a beautiful, beautiful campus there. I mean, a lot of history and tradition there as well, just right on the back backdrops of the mountains and a uh, pretty incredible scene. That's for sure. Remember to follow us on Twitter at StreakCenterJCU, also JCUSports.com. Check that website for all of the latest live stream links and live stat links as well. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in. Make sure to tune in next week only on the Streak Center Podcast.